Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. We've been saying it all morning, but when it's the Sabbath and it's happy, you got to say it. Hallelujah. This is fine. I'll just give you the hymnal. Eli, Ellie, thank you. Ah, there is no place in the world like Southern California. True or false? True. It's the only Southern California there is. And you're here. And it's an honor to be here, Karen and me, and uh, being out last night. My mother lives out in Banning with her husband. You know where Banning is? You've heard of Banning? Beautiful place, just beyond the smog line. And uh, just San Jacinto Mountains right up, uh, they look right out their house on those mountains. And I'm telling you the truth, last night after we got back, a little late when we got home, but uh, yapping coyotes, just yap, 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 yap. What a world that you live in. Do they have coyotes here in Lomondo? What? Really? Okay. They've seen a mountain lion out there. This is true. They've seen a mountain lion. It's come actually down to the edge of Sun Lakes uh, where my mother lives. So we got deer. That's what we have in Michigan, deer. And wolverines. And snow, as I was telling you last night. Snow. You can't believe it. Snow last weekend. But here we are and... Uh, you singers that led us in our praise segment a moment ago, that line uh, about fill the lambs. What? How did I scribbled that down. How did that line go? Jesus, fill the lambs. Come and fill your lambs. That's what we're doing these few hours of the Sabbath. We're asking the Spirit to come in a special way and anoint us, come in a special way and fill us. We're doing a series called Rumors from the East. I'm going to plunge into rumor number two this morning in just a moment. The, 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 the background to the series is that in the Bible's longest prophecy, Daniel chapter 11, it states that there's a king called the King of the North. I wish we had time to unveil who that king is. This is a nine-part series and we just got four parts of it. You can go to the website that's at the top of your study guide if you want to get the rest of it. But there's a king called the King of the North and he hears at the end of time, just before the return of Jesus, just before Michael stands up, uh, Daniel 12, verse 1, Michael stands up to deliver his people on this planet. The king of the north hears, and the New American Standard Version uh, renders it this way, he hears rumors from the east. Talked about uh, Iraq last night. We're in a war. We know that. Politically speaking, we're in a war. It's a mess. I just pray to God there's a way out of this war. Iran, Iraq, Islam, Israel, all these eyes that are clustered around four eyes clustered there in the Middle East, and all eyes of the world are on the Middle East. Are, are, are these the rumors? No, 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 no. Those aren't the rumors. That's going on, but simultaneous to that, there is the approaching tread of rumor after rumor after rumor, and by the time we're through this afternoon, there'll be three rumors we have carefully examined. Three uses of the word East in apocalyptic literature. Daniel, Revelation, the two major apocalyptic books. Three references to the East, and... It is those rumors that are stirring up my heart and I'm realizing we are living on the brink. We're living on the edge of eternity. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, Annie, who put this, uh, put this series together, she saw something that we did on Hope TV a while back and she said, oh, Dwight, could you please just work a little bit of that in? And so I, I uh, have uh, done something I normally don't do. And, but because this is the Sabbath school hour, by the way, let me ask you a question. You do go to Sabbath school every Sabbath, don't you? Good for you. I knew you would. I knew you did. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. 
This is the Sabbath school hour, so this is an extra Bible study hour, and so this is we're just going to throw this in. There is an addendum that I prepared for this little series called the LLU Journey Addendum. And when you came in there, there was an eight and a half by eleven sheet that they handed you. We filled in the first half, and I'm like, sorry we can't take the time to those of you that missed last evening to fill that half in. But I'd like to go to addendum number two, which has to do with rumors. Rumor number two. So if you just pull that out. Because we're looking at Holy Scripture. Look, I'm from a university campus, Andrews University. I've had the privilege of pastoring there for a few years. I know young adults. We have 3,000 of them there at Andrews. You've got, what, 5,000 here, students? Yeah. So I know that even in a Christian setting like this, in the community of faith that we love, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I understand that there are there are bright minds who say, hey, you know what, preacher, you know what, Dwight, I happen to disagree. I don't think you can trust that book. I'm not sure that it's reliable. Now, this is the third millennium. Get get a life. So last night we looked at seven evidences for the veracity. That means the reliability of Holy Scripture. Seven compelling, by the way, I'm convinced, compelling evidences. So we made the case. And if you can disprove that case, you need to get the seven. I need you to disprove those seven before you tell me that this book is not reliable. You have to disprove those seven before you come and tell me that we cannot rely on this book. Having established that the book is reliable, let me share with you now before we get into rumor number two. I'll put it on the screen here. That little white X means we're ready to go. Seven phenomenal benefits that will come to you as you take Holy Scripture. By the end of this morning's presentation, I want to give you a way to meet Jesus every single day of your life for the rest of your life in between the, 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 the covers of this book. But let me just show you in advance what you can expect. Seven phenomenal benefits when you take the Word of God seriously. All right, jot them down. Number one, it will benefit you physically. Absolutely, it will benefit you physically. Do I need to remind you about this story? Do you know what Daniel 1 is a story about? It's about a boy named Daniel. Hey, he was a young adult. He was older than a boy. It's a boy named Daniel. Three companions of his. I bet you don't remember the three companions' names. And Abednego. All right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Very good. Four boys. Four young adults. They had, they, their hopes were pinned on getting graduate degrees in the university they had planned to attend in Jerusalem. Middle of the night, hands over their mouths. Gag, blindfolded thrown into a long chain that was marched across the hot desert sands straight to Baghdad, straight to Baghdad. Got a son-in-law that's in Baghdad. Baghdad. When they pull the blindfolds off, so to speak, they understand that they have been automatically enrolled in the University of Babylon. Babylon has a university, still does, by the way. Babylon is is a fallen system in direct antagonism to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not in Babylon and neither am I. But God still has friends by the thousands in Babylon. The final appeal of Scripture is you've got to come out of her now, guys. I know you're in that university, but you've got to come out of her now. He'll never say that to this, where you and I are. He'll say it to where they are. And we'll be a part of giving that invitation. Babylon has a university. They're enrolled in Babylon, and the university includes a physical regimen. We're going to make you, we're going to shape you, boys into the finest specimens our gods have ever seen. So we're going to give you your diet. You will eat what we eat, you will drink what we drink, and you will live the way we live. And Daniel says, time out. Time out, O king, to the chief steward. Time out. We will not eat what you eat. We will not drink what you drink. The king said, the, 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 the steward said, are you nuts? 
I'll have your head. You won't be eating anything when I'm through. Whoa, Daniel says, give me 10 days. What is this, an empirical institution? You're into research? Give me 10 days and I want to do some empirical research with you. I want nothing but vegetables and water. Nothing but vegetables and water for 10 days. And then you check us out. And how did it work? You remember that? Whoa, 10 days later, brighter, smarter, fitter. And the chief steward says, I don't know what you guys are on, but whatever you're on, stay on it. And they stayed on vegetables and water. So will it affect you? Where did, where, where did Daniel get that idea, by the way? Where did Daniel get the idea of how to live that way? He got it straight out of Holy Scripture, the Old Testament. He didn't have a New Testament, which also teaches what the Old Testament does. He got it straight out of the Old Testament. He read the book of Genesis and said, you know what? If God made the human race to live on this and we function most effectively on this diet, I'm living on this diet. And he did. And he accelerated as a captive exile to the third most powerful position in the entire empire. Unbelievable story. So that's... That, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the truth about Daniel. Let me get my little famous red laser. Now take a look at this, guys. A hundred years ago, a hundred years ago, prayer and a study of the Word, that would be Holy Scriptures, bring life and health, life and health to the soul. Daniel 1 is clear, bring life and health to the body as well. Look at this one. The study of the Bible in our schools will give the students special advantages those who receive into their hearts the holy principles of truth will work with, hey, come on, guys that have to burn the midnight oil. What does this say? Huh? Do you guys burn the midnight oil like we do at Andrews University? Give me a break. I've heard about your rotations. Increasing energy. So number one, the physical effect of, of reading and taking seriously the Word of God, it will benefit you phenomenally. It will benefit you physically. One more. Number two. It will also benefit you academically. This is, this is designed for young adult students. It will benefit you academically. Look at this. Ah, because you know what? When they took the boys three years, now they're on this diet for three years, and they're saying Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart that he would, he would honor God. Three years later, later, these boys are head and shoulders above everybody else in graduate school. Head and shoulders above the entire graduating class. And Nebuchadnezzar brought him in and said, hey, let me run, let me run some... Let me run some questions by you. Boom, 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 boom. And the boys are shining. He said, you got it. Look at this. The Word of God is the most perfect educational book in the world. You want to you shine academically? You don't get away from that book. You are, you are crazy. You attempt to live your life without the power of this book in your hands and in your heart. All right, let's go. Use as a te textbook in our schools. The Bible will do more for mind and morals. Well, that cannot be done by books of science and philosophy. Your science, we're philosophy. Speaking of Andrews and Loma Linda, but even more than that. This book. All right, let's keep going. Number three, write it down. The third phenomenal benefit that will come to you when you take the Word of God seriously, it will benefit you, it will benefit you physically, it will benefit you academically, and it will benefit you mentally because there are some of you who are saying, I'm not into school, I'm not into, I'm not into graduate education, I'm just me. You will be benefited mentally. Look at this, Psalm 119, and you need to look this up because this is something else. Did you know that this is in the Bible? Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible, comes right two, two chapters after the center of the Bible, which happens to be Psalm 117. Psalm 119, take a look at this. Can you believe this? I'm in the New King James for this little series that we're doing. The new translation you have is great. Just have a translation. Psalm 119, verse 97, oh, how I love your law. The Torah, that's in the Hebrew, Torah. That's the entire written revelation of God. 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, my protagonists, for they're ever with me. I got enemies, God. Look at this verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, the elders, because I keep your precepts. Oh, how sweet your words are to my taste. Drop down to 103. How sweet your words are to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It will, it, it will keep wider. It will give you an edge. Watch this. He who, she who gives Scripture close, prayerful attention will gain clear comprehension and sound judgment as if in turning to God, she or he had reached a higher grade of intelligence. Isn't that amazing? You take that book seriously and it can move you as if to a higher grade intelligence. You say, well, could, if I took an IQ test, would I have higher IQ? Probably not. It says it would move you to a higher grade as if your mind were at that next level. You don't need any test to prove that you have it. You got the Word of God. Hang on to that Word. All right. Let's go to, uh, oh, here's one more. Let the more important passages of Scripture be committed to memory. I had somebody come up to me last night and say, hey, Dwight, can you, you going to do anything about the memory? Because you did some teaching back at Andrews about memory on Sabbath morning. No, we're not going to do anything on memory. But let me just share this with you. A, a, a quote coming from Jama right after this. But first, see this first. Let the more important passages of Scripture be committed to memory. I just worked this last week on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. One of the great prayers of the Bible. I'm reading Philip Yancey's brand new book. If you could get a book, you want to get a book on prayer. His newest book is called Prayer, Does It Make a Difference? Philip Yancey, one of the brightest minds in evangelical America today. And he makes the point, memorize prayers from the Bible. So I'm working on Ephesians 3. Let them be committed to memory, not as a task. Oh boy, do I have to do this to get through this class? No, not as a task, but as a privilege. Though at first the memory may be defective. And those of you who are beyond the age of 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 know about these little senior moments that we joke about. Huh? Though at first the memory may be defective, it will gain strength by exercise. You've got to exercise it. Memorize. Now, here, here's the jam. I think this is the jam one. Let's see if this uh, will do that. Yep, look at this jam. According to the Journal of the American Medical Association, there's the reference. The National Institute of Aging found that, quote, adults who regularly participate in intellectually st stimulating activities such as memorization may reduce their risk of developing dementia such as Alzheimer's disease by as much as, write it down, 47%. Now, that's not the Holy Scripture. That's not the author of these previous quotations. That's JAMA, which I understand is a rather revered journal in this community. 47% improvement. Keep you, keep you, keep that mind alert to the very last day of your journey, so to speak. All right. Gotta go. Oh, so, by the way, don't forget Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. All right, let's go. Number four, financially. Do you know that by, by reading the Word of God and studying it, you will be benefited phenomenally financially? You say, what are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and test me. I'm, in, I'm into empirical research, God says. You test me and you prove me. I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. You make God CFO. You know what a CFO is? What's a CFO? Chief Financial Officer. You make God your CFO. You give him 10% right off the top because he says, by the way, you can't keep it anyway. It's already mine. You keep it. You're stealing. You give me that 10. That's mine. I gave you the. I gave you nine. Nine tenths. I will take the nine that you have left and I'll stretch them farther than if you had kept the 10. 
you give me the tent and see if I will not test you. See if I'm not open the windows of heaven and like the whole universe is being poured into your life. Oh, I tell you what, the, the, the book will benefit you financially. Let's keep going. Professionally, write that down because this is a professional university. Every degree here is for professional service. And I love this. This is the tail end of that prayer I memorized just a week ago. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus. Oh, mercy. Exceedingly, abundantly, professionally. Look what God can do. Let the young, I'm talking about young adults, let the young take the Bible as their guide and stand like a rock for principle and they can aspire to any height of attainment. Some of you got some big dreams. You got some huge dreams and I'm so proud of you for dreaming big. Don't you ever dream small. Dream big for the glory of God. And when you do, God will honor you. God will move you to heights you have never dreamed attainable. But you have to keep next to God. Not only your CFO, your CEO as well. He needs to be front and center as your leader. Yes, look, they can aspire to any height of attainment. There is no limit to the knowledge that they may reach. You may aspire as you wish, but there will always be an infinity beyond. What's wrong with that? An infinity beyond that. Socially. Now, this is for the young. Socially. Those of us who are young adults, you know what? This Reading the book will benefit you socially. Look at this. The Bible can help you find your life companion. Most of you shouldn't have to even worry about that point. But those of you that are still on the search, on the hunt. There are a few of you. On the hunt. Nothing wrong with that. Springtime back in Andrews. According to the calendar. The boy, our campus comes alive when spring bursts after a long, cold, and hardy winter. The Bible can help you find your life companion. May I share this with you? By the way, this is just for the rest of us. The Bible can help you keep. We don't, there's not a fill in the blank, but I want you to know this. The Bible will help you keep your life companion. You don't have to change your life companion. The Bible can help you keep that life companion because if you have God on your side, there is no, there is no relationship that God cannot, by supernatural grace, turn around and save. Don't you ever bail out? Unless you just, you know, I understand. I understand. Look, I've been pastoring a few years. I understand. But those of you that have a spouse, you can hang on to that spouse. I'm not going to give you the principles, but let me share the three guides for choosing a life companion. No charge for those of you who are not married. Let me give them to you. Number one, jot them down. Write in the word parents. That's what Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. If you have God-fearing parents, you talk to your parents. You, they are a part of the selection process. Do not leave mom and dad out. Number two, jot down Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and Galatians 5 are utterly clear. The Holy Spirit will guide you in the decisions you will make. You need your parents. You need your Holy Spirit. You say, come on, Dwight. Don't give me this about needing my parents. You understand I'm in graduate school. I'm in medical school. I'm in professional health uh, education. No, 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 don't, don't get all upset. You still need mom and dad. If you've got a mom and dad that love Jesus, they can have a very important part. Don't let them pick your spouse for you. But let them suggest what they're seeing. Nothing wrong with that. Don't go running out of here all excited. But listen, here, here, here's number three. Word of God. Look at this. Psalm 25, 5. Teach me, O God, the way that I should choose. God will teach you. Some of you are lucky and you have three choices right now. Who, which one shall I marry? A, B, or C? Ask God to help you. He'll, he'll help you choose the right one. All right, let's keep going. All right, physically phenomenal, academically phenomenal, mentally, financially, professionally, socially phenomenal, but write it down, number seven, of course, of course, of course, spiritually, phenomenal effect of being grown spiritually. Say, so what are you talking about? Oh, this is a no-brainer. 
Do you know what that verse, do you know how that verse reads? That verse goes like this. Thy word, this is the old King James, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against you. You want to live on the cutting edge. You want to live on the, the abundant life spiritually. It's through the word of God. Look at this. Received into the soul, the word of God will prove a mighty barricade against temptation. Don't you tell me that the power of temptation is greater here than it is at Andrews University. It's just as great there. It's just as great here. We're dealing with a devil who knows he is running out of a precious commodity spelled T-I-M-E. Knowing he's out of time with rage that is boiling up. Revelation 12 uses the word boiling over with a rage that is boiling over. He is going, he is gunning for this generation like no other generation in the past. Not to worry, not to worry. You hide the word of God in your heart. You are, you are invincible against the power of Lucifer. You can fight against the enemy, not in your own strength, but in the strength of God that he's ever ready to give you. Trusting in his word, you will never say, I can't, I cannot, I cannot be victorious here. You can be victorious. There is no habit that changed you today that is a chain to you. There is no habit that cannot be broken. God can set you free, but it will come through Holy Scripture. It won't come from just, uh, uh, you know, humming cheerful melodies in your mind. It will come through Holy Scripture. Here's one more. The Bible's power. In the Bible's power, men and women have broken the chains of sinful habit. They have renounced selfishness. The profane have become reverent. The drunken sober, the profligate pure, souls that have borne the likeness of Satan, I love this, have been transformed into the very image of whom? The very image of God. This change is itself a miracle of miracles, a change wrought by the Word. What Word? The Word of God. Thy Word have I hid in my heart. A change wrought by the Word. It is one of the deepest mysteries of the Word. How can God take a life that has been that has been cascading into a, a death spin, a spiral, a death spiral. God can instantly intervene in that life, turn your life around, and send you on a soar on eagle's wings straight into eternity. What a God. What a God. You just have to ask Him. You have to have a friendship with Him, and that's what this morning is about. One of the rumors from the East is going to invite you, before time runs out, to grow that friendship. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, here we are. It's the study hour, Sabbath school hour. Seven compelling evidences last night that we can trust this book. Seven phenomenal benefits this morning of what will happen when we trust you through this book. Dear God, I pray for every man, woman, and even child here this morning. Make him a mighty, a mighty feeder. And the Word of God, make her, Holy Father, an uncompromising woman who stands tall for eternity, for the eternal God. Let this, let this Word be hid in our hearts, dear God, that we might not sin against you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Rumors, rumors, rumors. Rumors in the wind. Rumors from the east. Last night was an introduction. This is rumor number one in just an hour. Rumor number two. And then this afternoon, rumor number three. You don't miss rumor number three. Rumor number one. I want, to, uh, I want us to get into this rumor by, asking, by, by uh, pondering this reality. There are two words in the English language that you cannot define. You cannot define these words without describing the human face. For example, the word smile. Can you define the word smile without describing the human face? Hmm? Can you? I don't think you can. I'd say that qualifies as a smile, wouldn't you? 
I went on the web and said, Google, find me a smile. And they found me that one. I said, oh, you found me a good one. Look at that little face. Precious, precious, precious. You can't define a, you can't define smile without, uh, you know, saying the face, you know, the smile takes your lips and turns them up and you have this kind of glow on your countenance and people want to get close to you. And if you're a little baby, they want to scoop you up and hold you close because the smile needs a face. The smile needs the description of a face to understand a smile. Now there's another word in the English language that you have to have a face in order to understand it. And that is the word frown. Huh? Isn't that true? The word frown. You can't describe a frown unless you can talk about the furrows and the brow and the lip that's puffing out and all of the rest. What's the point? The point is, ladies and gentlemen, the human face. The human face is the mirror to the soul. See the face, know the heart. It is precisely that truth that sets ablaze rumor number one that comes shining out of the east. When you see the face, you know the heart and you discover the truth. I want to find the face of God. I want to go to apocalyptic literature because this whole series is only in Daniel or Revelation. We're going nowhere else. Well, we're pulling in some augmenting text, but go to the Bible's last book called the Apocalypse. I want to go to Revelation chapter 18, the first rumor in this series. Intensify, intensify, intensify. Okay, we got to get serious then about these rumors. Rumor number one, Daniel chapter 18, verse one. We'll call this the last sunrise. The last sunrise, Daniel chapter 18, verse 1. I'm sorry, yeah, thank you. Revelation chapter 18, I'm sorry for saying that. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Oh, this is something else. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with His glory. Something is happening in the East here. You say, Dwight, I don't say a word about the East. You'll see it in just a moment. It's there. Trust me, it's there. This is coming out of the East. And this is happening just before the return of Christ. You're saying, Dwight, I don't say a word about the return of Christ here. Trust me, it's here. In fact, would you just look at verse 2 just because we're here. Look at verse 2. We won't even put it on the screen. And this angel that came down cried mightily, Babylon the Great is what? Is fallen. Now drop down to verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, Babylon, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So whatever's happening in verse 1 is just before the plagues. Something is going to happen on this planet that will leave earth never the same again for its very short existence after the event of Revelation 18, verse 1. What is it that is coming out of the east? Ay, ay, ay. Let's go. We need a sequence of snapshots here in order to, to understand this rumor coming out of the East. Revelation 18.1. By the way, if, we, if I go too fast and I jump over uh, 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 a fill-in-the-blank and you didn't catch it, don't worry about it. Go to that website. This will be there and you can then get the answer. The answers are all at the bottom of the study guide. We're looking at the last sunrise. The last sunrise, Revelation 18, verse 1. Write that in just so that you know that's the last sunrise. In your study guide, write in. Anything in yellow with a line under it is what you fill in in the study guide. Revelation 18, verse 1. Now, write in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 43. You say, Dwight, why are you going to Ezekiel? A friend of mine, John Pauline. I don't think John is here. Uh, John was there last night. John is a, is a New Testament scholar, teaches at the Theological Seminary at Andrews University, but you stole him away from us. And starting on June 1, he becomes the dean of the School of Religion here 
at Loma Linda University, and you've got a bright mind and a great guy to have lead that uh, school of religion. Anyway, John's a friend of mine, and John sent me an email the other day, uh, and he said, Dwight, you, this is fascinating. And I'd read this from other scholars, but John, John provided a little bit of a handle for it. He said, you know what, Dwight? Nearly every word and phrase in the book, Revelation, is either borrowed directly or hinted at strongly from the Old Testament. In fact, John says we can call them echoes. You can call them illusions or echoes. Another scholar I read said every single word and phrase in the book of Revelation comes out of the Old Testament. That means if we can find the Old Testament key to unlock Revelation 18.1, that poof, suddenly this rumor becomes, becomes fresh and vibrant in our, in our own uh, cogitation. So let me take a look here at Ezekiel. In fact, I, I wouldn't mind if you just turn to Ezekiel real quick. Um, we don't read from that book at all. I understand that. But if you can find it, it'd be Old Testament, by the way. Ezekiel chapter 43. Ezekiel chapter 43. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 1, please. Ezekiel chapter 43. I'll put it on the screen here. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the what? Toward the east, east, east. He brought me to the gate that faces toward the east, verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Does that verse sound at all familiar to you? Well, sure it does, because you just read it in Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Let's put the, let's put a split screen on the, on the big screen here, and notice the similarity of these two verses. Ezekiel over here, Revelation over here. Notice how Ezekiel ends, and the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Same, after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. What's the point? There are two clues. By taking, by taking Ezekiel, we have two clues as to what's happening in Revelation 18.1. Jot these down. Clue number one. In fact, I think it's already in there. Do you, don't have to, do you have to jot this down? Or is it already there? Clue number one. The glory that fills the earth is the glory of God himself. Remember that Revelation 18 says an angel came down the whole earth was filled with his glory. Let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. Does an angel have glory of his own? True or false? An angel has glory of his own. True or false? False. He has no glory at all. The only reason that angel that came down at Easter, we just celebrated Easter last Sunday, the only reason the angel came down at Easter and had such such debilitating glory that the entire Roman guard fell as dead then is because the angel had just come from guess whose presence? Boom, he comes down from the presence of God and shh, boom, everybody's dead. How much glory do you have? Zero, nada. We have nothing. There is no glory in us either. Angels and us are alike in that regard. The reason we look so awful is because we're not close to God at all. Although I have seen a man who has walked out of his prayer closet and I have seen a man upon whose face it seems that the very glory of God is radiating. I have met a woman who in the course of a day I have talked to her and I have said to myself, that woman has looked on the face of God. He is shining from her countenance. So it can happen to human beings. It just isn't... It is, it isn't like the angels who are there 24-7 and boy, when they show up here, boom, 
John sees this angel coming down. He says, the earth is filled with his glory. But we go to Ezekiel 43 and say, oh boy, that isn't the glory of the angel. That has got to be the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. And oh boy, clue number two, the glory that fills the earth, that's the point. It comes from the east. Not a word about the east in Revelation 18.1, but when you put the direct Old Testament quotation beside it, boom, we know it's a rumor from the east. It is from the east. And by the way, what happens every day on this planet, in the east, anywhere on earth except the North Pole or the South Pole. Yeah, you get one of these. Every day from the east, what comes up? Now, of course, we know the sun really doesn't rise. It's, the, it's that the earth turns. But we use the language, the sun rises. The sun rises over Southern California. Eventually gets over to Michigan. What's the other way around it? All right. Just want to see if you're awake. Because you haven't sent the sun to us yet. Please send it as soon as you can. All right. Sunrise. Oh, that's why we've got to put Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Write down Malachi. Oh, this is, this is, this is now, this is going to start falling together in rapid fire sequence here. Write down Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. In fact, I wish you'd look, look at that. You got a Bible? Go to the, the last, the very last page of the Old Testament. Will you please? Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And by the way, what's happening here in Malachi 4? You need to get the little time frame for this. Drop down to verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful, what? Day of the Lord. When the Old Testament uses the language, dreadful day of the Lord. Do you know what it's talking about? Every single time. It's talking about the end of human civilization as we know. It's the end of the earth. When they talk about the day of the Lord, the New Testament would say that's the return of Christ. The day of the Lord, when the Lord himself appears in that ball of fire in the heavens. The day of the Lord. So, we have the time sequence now. Now let's just read that, read that verse 2. But to you, you see it there, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the Son, is that S-O-N or S-U-N? The Son, but it's a capital S in the New King James. The Son of Righteousness will do what? Just like a sunrise, what does he do? He rises. With what in his wings? When his outstretched arms, what does he have? Does he have healing? The son of righteousness rises over the earth one last time before the end of the planet. Jot it down. One more text. This, this, completes, the, uh, this completes the sequence to understand rumor number one. One more text. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Read for us just a moment ago. And I do need you to see this in the New Testament in your own Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. All right. Oh, this, this is some text. Look at this. For it, is, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When in the history of earth did God give the command, let there be light? Genesis. This is creation. So the God of creation, the creator God, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts. He's shining light in our hearts to do what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do you find the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? Where is that light shining? It is shining where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Remember, if you want to know the heart, the face is the mirror for the heart. If you watch the face, it is the mirror for the soul. Study the face and you will see the heart. 
of God himself. Study the face of Jesus and you will see the soul of Almighty God himself. Wow. In fact, would you write that down, please? The glory of God shines best and brightest in the face of Jesus, in Jesus' face. I got up early a few Sundays ago. I'm reading a book. Pat just finished it uh, by a Baptist author named John Piper. He pastors the, uh, I think it's the Bethlehem Church up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He he wrote a book, and if you're into just uh, just some uh, meditative reflection, you'd be blessed by this book. Title of the book: God is the Gospel. So I'm reading a few Sundays ago. God is the Gospel, and I come across. Uh, an aha moment. I'm going to put the quotation on the screen for you. Do I have it in your study guide as well? Yeah. Um, in fact, you have to fill it in. This, this was for me just a beautiful moment of, ah, but of course, that's why it is. Let me read it to you. It's on the screen there. The spiritual beauty of Christ. You want to know what the beauty of Jesus is? It is Christ in action, right in that word action. It's not just Jesus standing in the corner somewhere meditating. No, no, it's Christ in action. What are you talking about, John Piper? He said, let me describe for you Christ in action. This has to be the world's longest sentence. The spiritual beauty of Christ is Christ in action. Watch this. Christ loving and Christ touching lepers and Christ blessing children and Christ healing the crippled and Christ raising the dead and commanding demons and teaching with unrivaled authority and silencing the skeptics and rebuking his disciples and predicting the details of his death. It's Jesus setting his face like flint to Jerusalem and weeping over the city. Hey, hold time out. What would it have been like to be standing beside Jesus as he wept over that city? Man, is he standing outside of Berrien Springs and just kind of wiping his eyes and clearing his throat and his nose to stand over Loma Linda? What would it have been like to stand beside Jesus as he wept over the these are These are the saved. These people are all born saved. They're born Jews. They're born saved. Just like you're born saved as an Adventist. You think. They thought the same thing. We don't need you. What do you mean a Savior? <laughs> We're saved. Go to the Gentiles, boy. You're wasting your time on us. And he wept over that city. Oh, what would it have been like? Uh, weeping over the city. Jesus silent before his accusers. Meekly sovereign over Pilate. By the way, that's sovereign over Pilate. You're the governor. You're the governor. I'm the king. I'm over you, boy. But I submit to you. Isn't that something? Sovereign over, over Pilate and crucified and praying for his enemies and forgiving a thief and caring for his mother while in agony and giving up his spirit in death and rising from the dead. Such is the glory of Christ. And it suddenly hit me, guys. Isn't that something? The spiritual beauty of Christ is Christ in action. That's where the light bulb went off. Because you know what? Sometimes, and I'm from a university that focuses a whole lot on theology, sometimes we think that, that religion and theology are best captured by dry, dusty formulas. And so we come up with these formulas. We have great philosophical, theological formulas to define truth. And sometimes we miss the truth that John Piper has just pointed out. You want the truth? You want the glory of God? You want the glory of God? Look in the face of Jesus and watch Him in action. Watch him. You don't need a dusty formula here. You just watch Jesus. Track Jesus. Oh boy, write this down, will you? The glory is the story. You want to see the glory of God? It's in the story of Jesus. The glory of God. You can't go anywhere on earth to find it. What are you going to do? Go to the, you, think you think if you go to the Holy Land, you'll find the glory of God? It's not there. Not any more than it is here in Loma Linda. The glory is in the story. The glory of God is in the story of Jesus. 
Wow. Problem is, you and I are always in such a blooming hurry. No time to linger around a story. Hurry, 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 rotation. Hurry, hurry, hurry. A hundred years ago, these words were written. Look what we're missing, guys. A hundred years ago, I've scribbled these words in the back of my Bible. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are open to all people and worth thousands of the most gifted men and women to devote their whole time 24-7 to setting forth Jesus always before us, studying how they might portray his matchless charms, write it down. They would never exhaust, never, never, never exhaust the subject, ever. Wow. Because the matchless charms of Jesus are exhaustless. Isn't that something? You can never exhaust the subject. Which is why you can go back to the same old stories of Jesus over and over again. I'm going to give you a method in just a moment. And you say, oh, I've already read that story. No, you go back again because every time you go to that same old, old story, something new suddenly is brought to you by the mighty third person of the Godhead. He says, I want you to see the glory of God today in this look at Jesus' face. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. The fact of the matter is, if I read my Bible correctly, there is going to be an explosion of glory at the end of time. A glory that will be shining in the face of the Son of Righteousness who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. His face will be seen on this planet in ways it has never been seen before save for one time in history. And that was just after He left this planet in the Ascension. One time in history there was a moment when there was an explosion of glory on earth. And do you know where they saw the glory? Take a look at this. Do you know where they saw the glory? Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is your study guide. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, John, and all the rest of the men and women who called themselves followers of this ascended Christ, and they perceived that they were uneducated. Look at this. And untrained. There's some people here who are saying, you know what? I live in an academic community. I'm surrounded by academic giants. I have never gone to school. I have never finished a degree. My life is worthless. I want to remind you, my friend, that when God set up his base, his home base on earth, he took the uneducated and made them the champions of his truth. Don't you ever go walking around, moping around this community because I just don't have a degree like the rest of them. You have a heart. And if that heart will be filled with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be the most, you may be the most strategic person in this community to bring the glory of God to earth. Don't you ever apologize for not having a degree. The issue is not degrees. The degree of glory that shines in your face. Notice this. They took note when they saw these uneducated men and women. They marveled and they realized these had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if everybody who came onto our campus walked away and said, you know what? These people are incredible. They obviously have been with Jesus. Wouldn't that just blow you out of the water? If they came to Andrews University and walked away and they said, I don't know what these people believe, but it is clear they have been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be something if they came to Loma Linda and they said, I don't know what these people believe. They're big on health. But it is clear they're big on Jesus. They are big on Jesus. And Jesus is reflected from their faces. That's the, that was the explosion at the beginning of the Christian journey. And there will be, according to Revelation 18.1, guys, get it straight. There will be one last sunrise for this earth. S-O-N rise. There will be one last sunrise. And that explosion of glory will not be seen on a distant face. Oh, come on. Show me the face of Jesus. You won't be able to find the face of Jesus. The only face of Jesus on this earth is your face. Your face. When your face lights up with Jesus, she has been with Jesus. I can see it all over her. That's how God will storm this planet one last time. 
He thought it was something pretty sophisticated, didn't you? He thought there was some huge plan that had to come out of the General Conference, and they built this massive strategic plan. Zero. Nada. There won't even be a GC at the end of time. God be with him. God be with him. There won't even be a GC. There won't be an institution. There won't be a Pioneer Memorial Church at the end of time. That's a beautiful cathedral if you've never been in it. It's a beautiful cathedral. It'll be gone. There'll never be a, there won't be a Loma Linda University Church at the end of time. It's gone. There's nothing. But there will be people who had people these institutions and who go to all four corners of the earth. The glory of Jesus on their faces. Servants of God with their faces lighted up. Hurry from city to city. Miracles are performed. The controversy says miracles are performed. Glory of Jesus shining in the faces of human beings. Wow. Because when you've been with Jesus, whoa, never forget it. It's the gospel truth. When you have been with Jesus, it shows. His glory. Here's another story. His glory shines from your story. We've just switched the stories. You've got to be with his story first. When you're with his story, and by the way, his story is history. When you're with his story first, then you get it incorporated into your story. People see you and they think of him. It's the law of mirrors. You ever seen a mirror? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen a mirror. You know the law of mirrors is? The mirror never reflects itself. Ever, ever, ever. A mirror can't do that. A mirror cannot reflect itself. It's impossible. It can reflect only the one it's pointed at. That's, what, that's just the way mirrors work. I have a friend of mine who's a big boat builder. I mean, one of the largest boat builders in America. Luxury yachts. And he lives just uh, 60 miles up the road from us in Holland, Michigan, which is a big uh, luxury yacht uh, building capital for uh, at least the eastern part of the United States. Anyway, my, my friend's name is Bob Slickers, and they produce the Tiara Luxury Crafts. Bob and I went to college together. And so the other day, it was, it was a Labor Day, and Bob said, hey, Bob and Barb, say, hey, Dwight and Karen, come on up here. Let's spend Labor Day together. We'll go out on a boat. We'll have some fun. But first, I want to show you this new church we just built. We just built a new Adventist church in Holland, and I want to show you this new church. Well, I love seeing churches wherever I go. It's just kind of a, a fascination of mine. So I said, yeah, let's go see your new church. So we're going through the church, and then Bob says, Dwight, I want to show you the men's room. Now, look at guys. I've been to a few men's rooms in my life. There's they're just nothing extra. There's just nothing to write home about. Why would I want to see a men's room? Please. A men's room? <laughs> you've seen one, you've seen them all. He said, no, Dwight, I want you to see this men's room. Okay. He says, stand right here in the narthex. That would be the foyer of the church, all right? The narthex. Stand right here in the middle of the narthex. He said, now watch this. And he went over to the men's room door. He said, I'm going to open this door. He opened the door. There is a vanity wall. You know what a vanity wall is? It hides everything that's behind it. A vanity wall, you know what a vanity... Yeah, you know. Okay. So there's this vanity wall. So look, I said, Bob, so what? He said, well, look over here. And over there was, some, was a sink where they wash their hands. Sink. And above this, over, over the sink is a mirror. But the mirror was so carefully placed that by standing in the open doorway in the middle of the narthex, you could look... See the vanity wall, your eyes turn to the mirror, and the mirror reveals everything behind the vanity wall. <laughs> there is an architect without a job today. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Why do we have this vanity wall here? You got a mirror up. Why? That's the law of mirrors, ladies and gentlemen. A mirror always reflects what it's pointed at. That's the truth. And that's what the New Testament is trying to tell us. Take a look at this. Second Corinthians. There's a lie. By the way, get that, get that point. They reflect the one they're pointed at. And that's the point of the New Testament. 
Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I love this from the New Living Translation. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, as in a mirror, we behold the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're like little mirrors. We're like little mirrors. And if you're pointed in the right way and to the right one, when you walk out of there, everybody sees who you're pointed at. Do you get it? They see who you're pointed at. And that's the point. You've got to have your mirror pointed in the right direction when you hurry out of your little apartment, that little room, and you hurry into the hospital or wherever it is God has you serving or studying. That's the point. That was the secret of the New Testament church. By the way, that was the secret of the beginning of this little movement that you and I are part of. William Miller, you ever heard of him? Baptist preacher as well. Became one of our progenitors, spiritual fathers. William Miller, who preached with a passion the return of Jesus. He, he was converted in his uh, adult years. I was constrained, talking about his conversion, to admit that the Scriptures must be a revelation from God because he was a deist. He was a skeptic. He fit in very well with our postmodern world, which believes there's no such thing as capital T truth. There are only little t truths, and everybody can have their own truth. You can have your own truths and be happy. No, he says, the Scriptures became my delight. The greatest men and women in the history of the human race, the greatest men and women in the history of the human race have found delight in Holy Scripture. And you're going to be one of them. You are one of them. They became my delight and jot this down. In Jesus, I found a friend. That's what the revival is all about. The Savior became to me the chiefest among 10,000. And the scriptures, which before were dark and contradictory, now became the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. The beginning of this little movement that you and I are a part of began with a man who had a friendship with Jesus. And it shined from his face. The way it works. By the way, in that particular revival, Annie, we've been... We've been Talking about, you know, what would a revival look? What would a revival look like? All who found peace in Christ. This is what it looks like. They long to see others share the blessing. The hearts of parents are turned to their children. The hearts of children to their parents. The barriers of pride and reserve are swept away. Heartfelt confessions are made. The members of a household labored for the salvation of those who were nearest and dearest. You know this revival at the beginning of our little movement? Look at this. Of all the great religious movements since the days of the apostles, since that first explosion of glory called the Pentecost, since then, none, not one of those revivals has been more free from human imperfection in the wilds of Satan than was that of the autumn of 1844. Point is, you're in the right, you're, you got on the right train. But it's got to make a difference in your life and mine. It has to make a difference. So I want to end with a prayer. I want to end with a prayer. You see that there? I found this prayer the other day. Just reading my Bible through Exodus and came across Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 18. That prayer so moved me. I came to my little girl before she left home. She's 21 now and married to this U.S. Army Ranger medic. And I said, Chrissy, you're the computer whiz in this house. Could you make me up something really fancy that make, puts these words on a piece of paper? She did. Put all these cute little borders around it. And I taped it to the wall where I have worship every morning. It's taped to the wall so that every morning I can look at this. But Oh, God. I beseech you, that's how the King James reads, I beseech you, I beg you, please, show me, show me your glory. Can you imagine what would happen if you and I would pray that prayer every single day? If 3,000 people, 5,000 students, I don't know how many of you have in Loma Linda, it's a huge town, but if just 5,000, just 3,000 of you, just 30 of you, that's 30 of you, 
or alone with Jesus every day, and you said, Lord, the day is starting, and I, I, I just want to see your glory today. I beseech you, I beg of you, please show me your glory. Can you imagine what would happen? The effect, the cumulative effect. Wouldn't that be a prayer to pray? Oh, God, please. Jesus, the glory of God shines in your face. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look in your face. Don't we sing that song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. What would happen if every day of your life you first were alone with Jesus and you read His story? You say, Dwight, what are you talking about? Let me share this with you. It's right there in your study guide. Here's what you can do every day. If you said, I'm going to take one gospel story every day, fill it in. One gospel story. Just one. Don't take two. Don't take three. You know why I say not take two or three? Because you'll be confused. You read three stories and you'll say, well, what's the point? Well, you read too many stories. One miracle, one parable, one incident, one moment. Just read that moment. And right now in Matthew 18, you just read one story. One story. You say, well, what do I do with the story? Oh, by the way, did I put a time on the study guide? Huh? Did I put a time? What does it say? Oh, I have to fill it in? Okay. 20 to 30 minutes. Because I'm dealing with a graduate uh, institution here. You're not freshmen in college. You're first-year medical. You're mature. Young adults. I love young adults. 20 minutes. 30. Don't worry. The time will grow later. Just, but you've got to start somewhere. When a college kid comes into my office at Pioneer Memorial Church and he collapses on and she collapses on that seat, he says, oh, Pastor, I'm burned out spiritually. I'm just shot. I say, for you, five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. Now, if you're in that category and you just can't stomach more than five minutes, then you start with five. I'm just saying 20. You could do 20. One gospel story every day. And here's what you do. You reread the story in order to relive the story. You must go back over it. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Reread to relive. Something's going to emerge out of the story. You're going to be asking this question. What does this story tell me about my Savior Jesus? I'm going to be looking at the uh, study guide that you have. Are we, so far, are we so far in line? Yeah. What does this story tell me about my Savior Jesus? See, what is it about Jesus? I'm looking full into his wonderful face. What does this story tell me? If Jesus is with a prostitute, what does it tell me about Jesus? He is not hung up with a person's past. That's what it tells me about Jesus. I don't care what your past is. Me, diddly squat to him. I want you now. I've handled your past. I've already died for your past. I've already saved your past. Every sin you've ever committed, I've already forgiven you. The entire human race was forgiven 2,000 years ago. The whole human race from stem to stern was already forgiven. So it's not an issue of talking him into forgiving you. He doesn't care about your past. You see him with a prostitute. You see him with a proud guy like Peter. Mr. Cocky, always at the top of the class, Peter. First to jump out. First to walk on water. First to sink. Peter, you may be a Peter. Start a project strong and weak. Jesus, I'm just like him. I'm just like him. Jesus says, that's fine. I love Peter. Back when, just before I died, I said, Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you when you're converted, boy, because you're not converted yet. Some of us are not converted right now. We're not converted. We haven't given our hearts fully to Jesus. We've given half a heart. We've given a third of a heart. We've given a tenth of a heart. We haven't given our whole heart. So this, this part's mine. You're not converted until you give the whole heart. He said, I have to have your whole life. I can't do a thing with you. You've tied my hands. But Simon, Simon, I pray for you. Boy, when you're converted, you, you, you save your brothers. You work for your brothers. You love them. By the way, 
And then you write a letter to Jesus. Just write a letter to Jesus. You say, oh, I'm not into writing letters. How many here have ever written an email in your life? That's the point. You know how to write. You write all the time. Write an email to Jesus. The letter word bothers you. Write an email to Jesus. Just write, dear Jesus, I didn't realize. I just wrote it in my journal this morning. Dear Jesus, I didn't realize how much like her I am. But if you can love her and turn her around the way you did, you can love me and turn me around too. Jesus, save me today. Look, guys, that's a paragraph. That long. You buy these journals at Walmart for 92 cents in Michigan. 4.92 in California. <laughs> you got to cover. You got to cover your high gas prices, so they everything's up. Point is, you can get these little journals for nothing. 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 Just write a letter every day. Write it in red. The date. The date. The part of the verse that spoke to you. Then you just write a letter to Jesus. And then I didn't have this down, but you. It's, it's in your prayer. Then you have a kneeling prayer. You say, oh, do I have already been praying, haven't I? Oh, of course you've been praying. Have I been, have I been talking to Jesus? You've been talking to Jesus. Heart to heart, there's been this dialogue going back and forth. You know what? Before you used to pray, before you'd fall asleep in the middle of the prayer, and it was over. You're so tired at 12 o'clock at night when you come back, the end of your shift, you're shot, 1230. I, there's no way. You've been falling asleep, but you won't have to anymore. Not when you're writing. A, when, when you're writing your response to Jesus, you, trust me, you don't fall asleep when your pen is moving. Unless you've had uh, double rotation, whatever. You won't fall asleep. You keep your mind focused. But so, so the kneeling prayer, that's the point. The kneeling prayer, because you know what? I've been talking with Almighty God, and there comes a moment in this little 20 to 30 minute segment when I need to get on my knees and I say, God, you are truly Almighty to me, and I am on my face before you. May the glory, I beseech you, show me your glory in the face of Jesus. Just show me your glory. And God says, let me shine. Let me shine. Guys, is this rocket science? Is this rocket science? Got to get some advanced degree at Loma Linda University for this or Andrews? Nuts. You don't have to. You don't have to ever go to school again in your life. You can meet the same Lord Jesus every single day. Let your glory shine in my face. I beseech you, O God, show me your glory. But you got to, he has to have your heart. He has to have your heart. That's what Calvary's all about. Outstretched arms. i got to have your heart. Let me have your life. Hey, boy, give me your life. Let me have your life. I'll take you. I'll shape you. I'll send you. But I need your life. I want you to bow your head with me, please, as we pray. Oh, God. Rumor from the east. There will be a last sunrise. Rumor from the east. The earth will explode with the glory that shines from that sun. Rumors from the east. It won't be glory on the face of Jesus alone. It will be glory on the faces of friends of His the world over. And oh, Father, I know I pray for this group right now bowed in prayer. There is no one of us that is not hungry to be a part of that explosion, that last sunrise explosion. But in order to get there from here, dear God, you have to have all our hearts. Not half, not two-thirds, three-quarters, not enough. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. I want your heart. I can handle your life, but I need your heart that chooses me. While every head is still bound in prayer, is still communing with this one whose face has risen above us today over this glorious land, but your head is still bowed in prayer. I need to ask, is there, is there a man here that today would say, I need 
I need this morning to give Jesus all my heart. I've held something back, but I want to give it all to Jesus. Is there a man here that needs to pray that prayer? I'm wondering while everyone's still bowed in prayer, I'm wondering, sir, if you would mind standing to your feet. He was looking, praying. But if your heart needs to be given all to Jesus, and it, you, you just there's just a little more to give right now, while it's fresh on your mind, would you stand to your feet and say, Hey, Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus, I want to give it. I want you to take it. Is there a woman here is there a woman here who today she needs to give you need to give all your heart you have a beautiful heart you have a beautiful life but you've been holding on you got to let go to whatever that is it doesn't matter just let it go would you be willing to say to Jesus I give you all that I have you can have all of me. if you're a young woman you're not so young and you want to make that prayer, would you stand to your feet? Everybody else is bowed in prayer, but would you stand to your feet and say, Jesus, please. Please, Jesus. All of you. And are there any today, this morning in this mid-morning moment, are there any today who would be willing to say with me, Oh Christ, I don't know what it's going to take, but you've got to take me to a deeper level with you. I want more of you. I need more of the glory of God in front of my eyes that gaze on your face. Jesus, every early morning, take me to see your glory so that when the world sees me, they see you instead. If you would like to make that new commitment to seek the Lord Jesus Christ each day, morning between now and the second coming. And you'd like to send that prayer to heaven. Would you stand to your feet as well? Holy Father, we, we do not stand because there's anything special in us. It's zero. If you didn't shine that little beam of light on our pathway, we would be in total darkness. We only stand... Because we see in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ the glory of the Eternal One. And there's something awakened by the Holy Spirit in our conscience and in our heart that says, you can have more of this. You can have more of that glory. Let me shine on you. And so we stand, Father. Ah, we are so bumbling and fumbling as your children. You know the story. We don't have to tell you. But Jesus, I pray, pray a special prayer for all of these and for me this time. Please, let the mighty Spirit come back to us over and over. In fact, like the alarm clock, may the Holy Spirit, when the jangle of that alarm goes off, may the Spirit be in that instant, possess the moment and say, now, quick, come. Let's look at Jesus together. Look at His face. Reflect on it. Tell Him you need that glory. Every morning, Father, for all of us who have stood, do the work of glory that this rumor from the east might come true, 
that in a handful of your friends on earth, the earth one more time can be set ablaze with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Till then, keep growing us. Shine through us in our stories. We pray in Jesus' name. Let all the friends of Jesus say, Amen and Amen. You may be seated.